here at the church here. So thanks for being here to worship with us. And I hope you will feel like you are trafficking in the presence of the living God. One thing you need to know, you know, we kind of put the clutch in and shifted back to 9.30 on Sunday mornings for worship. If you're not familiar with Brian, this is the coldest season in this room because of our air conditioning system. So if you get cold, bring a sweater or something like that because it will be cool during the summer. If you burn hot, you're going to love it. So just, just FYI. Also, next week is Father's Day. And we're going to have a special Father's Day service to celebrate our earthly fathers, but ultimately celebrate our Heavenly Father, who is faithful and just and kind to us. So, well, one of the things that's true, as we try and teach our children who are learning to drive, there's a place where we want them to keep their eyes. Where is it? On the road. Right? When we're trying to teach our children to drive a car, and for even ourselves, we need to keep our eyes on the road. Because if you look off to the side, you start finding yourself drifting that way into the ditch, don't you? Or if you're looking at the radio or trying to find that song or, you know, trying to answer that text, don't do that, by the way. You might find yourself swerving into somebody else's lane. Anyone ever see that? Anyone ever do that? Don't do it. Or even worse, you're looking down distracted and you don't see the vehicle in front of you that slammed on its brakes, right? And you're heading right to their back tail end. Why is this so important? Because the stakes are high, right? You're in a steel-covered vehicle moving at 65, maybe faster. And if you steer your vehicle the wrong direction, you could do a lot of damage, right? Damage to this multi-thousand dollar vehicle that you paid for. Or even worse, bodily damage to your passengers or someone outside of the car, or even death. The stakes are high. You need to keep your eyes on the road. And that's what Jesus wants to talk to us about today, through His Word, the Apostle Paul. You see, we're back in our series on Colossians. If you have your Bibles, you might want to crack it open to chapter 3. But there were those around these Colossian believers who were trying to get their eyes off of Jesus, looking at something more. If you were here in our last um, sermon through this in chapter 2, there was an area where I call false foundations, whether it was focusing in on rigorous religiosity or seeking heavenly or spiritual experiences or harsh treatment of the body. All these things were anchored really in the bankruptcy of self-salvation and looking to the things of this earth. To the negligence of the one who says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
You know, behind me is a cross. It's rather rustic. We don't have it there just for decoration. We have it there as a reminder of what God did in sending His Son. And that's what we want to focus on today. To keep our eyes back on Him. So, just before we pray for today's message, I would like to read the first four verses of chapter 3 together. This is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Let me pray, and then we'll dig into this message today. Lord God, this is Your Word. It's Your message to us today, not just to a church 2,000 years ago. It's Your message to us today. And so we pray, even as we have sung, Lord Jesus, be Thou our vision. All of who You are, all of what You are going to do in bringing history to a close, all that You want to do in us right now, and the season you have us here on this side of heaven. But today, would you help us to see you for who you really are? Would you help us to see our need? Would you help us to see that you are a Savior that is mighty to save? And if there's somebody who doesn't know you, I pray that you would open the eyes of his or her heart to receive you. And for the rest of us who do know you, help us to get our eyes back on you. Pray you do this through the study of your word today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, if you've been with us in this series through the letter to Colossians, you'll notice that this letter is saturated with the fact that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, is the focal point of the Christian faith the Christian life, and the Christian hope. And just a sample size of, of what we've seen already. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We've seen that He created all things. And they were created by Him and for Him. And in Him all things hold together. We see that in His flesh He came to reconcile all things to Himself through His shed blood on the cross. And that our hope is Christ in us, the hope of glory. We'll talk about that a little bit later. We see that the symbolism of baptism is that we were buried with him in his death and we were raised with him to his life, his resurrection. And that when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive in Christ. He's given us the forgiveness of sins. And He took the accusations that were against us, He canceled them, and He took them away and nailed them to the cross. Again, just a sample size of who Jesus is. Who this Savior, this Christ, this Messiah is. 
And so what we want to do, again, is get our eyes back on Him. We want to have a Christ-centered vision for living. So, this shouldn't be any surprise to anyone, but point number one is we must keep our eyes on Jesus. Verse 1 and 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. The three things I want to point out to you in this, we must keep our eyes on Jesus. First, since then you have been raised with Christ. I want us to notice our union with Him. Since then you have been raised with Christ. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are united with Him in His resurrection from the grave, which will ultimately be fulfilled when He returns. But also in all that He has accomplished. In coming, God putting on flesh, living a life of perfect obedience before His Heavenly Father, then going to the cross, willingly, not as a victim, to pay the price for our sin that we could not pay, and then conquering the grave. Raised up with Him in Christ. You are, if you are in Christ, you are in union with Him in all that He has done. Because He satisfies God's perfect justice. And we'll be celebrating that a little bit later in the Lord's Supper. He imputes to us His righteousness. Within that, you are given forgiveness of sins. You are adopted into his family. You are given his holiness. In fact, he calls you his holy ones. He calls you his saints. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he has done. He gives you eternal life and his powers at work within you and so much more. And again, this was what Paul was talking about earlier when he talked about baptism in chapter 2, verse 12. Having been buried with him in his baptism, you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of, of God who raised him from the dead. You see, when you're baptized, you're expressing your faith, saying, when he died, he did that for me. And when he was risen from the dead, he did that for me. And I put my hope, my trust, my faith in that. What he did, not what I did. I have union with him. What a powerful thing. And by the way, if you're a Christ follower and, and you've not been baptized yet, to express that, we have an opportunity on July 24th, to do that, call the office. We'd love to have you be a part of that. And it is, honestly, folks, it is one of the most powerful things we get to do. It's not just a dunk fest. It's, it's, it's really expressing hope and faith in what Christ has done. And it is so encouraging. So first of all, that union, if you have been raised with Christ, if that's you. What a great thing to focus on. You've been raised with Christ. And, 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 here's a bonus. Here's a bonus. Think about this. So if you've been raised with Christ, here's, 
You have union with Him. Positionally, you are seated with Him, listen to this, in the heavenlies. And this is something that kind of blows my mind. I don't even fully, can fully wrap my mind around it. But Paul will say this in chapter 2 of Ephesians verse 6. And God raised us up with Him in Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. If you were raised in Christ, if you, if you were in Him, right now, somehow, you are seated with Him in the heavenly realms. Isn't that a mind-blowing thought? It is a now-but-not-yet reality. Positionally, you are right there to be fully experienced when He comes and brings us home to be with Him. But what an amazing thing. The second factor I want you to focus in on is what I call access. Set your hearts on things above, listen to this, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Maybe that doesn't mean anything to us. As far as royalty, Jesus, not only is he sitting down next to the Heavenly Father, God Almighty, it means he's accomplished redemption, but he's at the place of highest power and authority that he has as he reigns with his Heavenly Father. This is what David was pointing to in Psalm 100. 10 in verse 1. The Lord Yahweh said to my Lord, speaking of Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Jesus is right there, right now, at the right hand of the Father. And as he has said, before he departed, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You have access to that. To His presence. Not only are you seated there, you can come to Him and find help in your time of need. In my Bible reading this week, I was in 1 Kings chapter 8. And that is the completion of the temple in, in Jerusalem, built by Solomon. And what's significant is this prayer that Solomon prays. And he lists a number of things to seeking God in looking for help in their time of need. But here's the point. The focus is this building in Jerusalem where God dwells. And that, that was an amazing thing, and it really was a, a foreshadowing of what God has done. But that's the Old Covenant, right? If you want, in the Old Covenant, if you want to pray and access God, you have to turn toward Jerusalem, wherever that is. From here, I guess it would be facing this way, east, right? And pray. If you were in exile, you might have to face west. If you were in Babylon, but what have you. But here's the thing. The hard thing about that is you've got to face a building. In this new covenant, things have changed. It's not that God isn't omnipresent or everywhere. But when you put your faith in Christ, what happens? He comes to dwell within you. The presence of God actually comes to dwell within you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you have access, instant access to 
the throne room of grace to find help in our time of need, as, as Hebrews 4 talks about. We have access. If you have been raised with Christ and you set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, you have access to the living God and all of His power and can seek His face for help. And that's not just a, yeah, I'll think about it. You are His child. You are His daughter. You are His son. Unless God has something else in mind in His wisdom, He's going to say yes. You know, this last Thursday, I was with the elder board and we were working on the budget. And there are some challenges, folks. God has been so faithful, but there are still some challenges. We have an older building. We have a, a, you know, things that we're looking ahead, kind of going, man, this parking lot is going to need to be developed. Our roof is probably going to need to be replaced. And we're going, Lord, we're going to need you to provide. We're going to need wisdom. And one of the best things we can do as an elder board, yeah, we're going to try and be fiscally responsible. But you know what? Tomorrow night, we've set aside, we set aside one night a week to pray. That's the best thing we can do. To come into the throne room of grace where the King of kings and the Lord of lords dwells. And maybe we're going to seek them for the landing as well. Ironically, a homeless ministry that's homeless right now. Right? But we have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's why one of the reasons why we want to keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on the road. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And last of all, He's a King. And He has a kingdom that is in probably contradiction to where this kingdom of earth is going. And we, if we are in Christ, He has transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son He loves. And that's a whole new vision for where history is going, a whole new vision for our life purpose. Think about this. If you are in Christ, He's incorporating you in His mission, which is to reconcile men and women to Himself. If you're going to be a part of the, of the jamboree this Wednesday, you get to be a part of helping kids find life in Christ to transfer them, help them get a vision for being transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light because even little kids need Jesus. In fact, they're oftentimes more open to that. But that's our mission. As followers of Jesus, we're part of His kingdom. We have a chance to be agents of His grace and His reconciliation. And the stakes are high. The stakes are high, people. Just as it is appointed for men to die once, after this comes judgment. And the question is going to be, what did you do with my Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you receive the hope and salvation He presents? Or did you do nothing with it? Or did you, did you not even hear it? And if that's true, then that's on us. The stakes are high. 
But here's also something that's true. We're part of a lasting kingdom. This world and all that's going on, it's passing away. Everything you own, probably 200 years from now, will be in a, if Christ doesn't come back, it'll probably be in a, a, a landfill somewhere. That's kind of discouraging, isn't it? We have a lasting kingdom that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And we have a kingdom when it is fully inaugurated when Jesus comes, it, everything will be made right. But ultimately, it has to be do with being made right with Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the kingdom that we represent. So we have to keep our eyes on Him. We have to keep our eyes on Him. Our King. And represent Him well to a world that desperately needs Him. Keep our eyes on the road. Keep our eyes on the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Number two, we must not keep our eyes on this world. Again, back to verse two. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. A couple of things I want to point to really quickly. Number one, when we keep our eyes on this world, the truth of the matter is, the kingdom of this world is oftentimes at odds with the kingdom of God, right? It's taking down the wrong pathway. Not the right pathway. It's veering us off into the ditch. And number two, this statement, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. If you are in Christ... There's a sense where you should be dead to the things of this world and alive to God through Christ. We ought not be part of distracted driving. But it happens to us, doesn't it? It happens to us. And some of those things are, are good things. But we're looking to this world rather than to our Lord. And oftentimes it's because we're looking for life. We're looking for life, right? Whether it's material or financial possessions, science and technology, the latest fashion or thing, sensual experience through sex or food, position, power or influence, relationships, family, friends, unique travel experiences. And the, and the funny thing is, these are not all just bad. They're just bad gods. They're just bad gods. Confession here. I'm, I'm, I'm watching the NBA Finals on, on Friday night. And I'm a Golden State Warrior fan. Hope we can be friends. But my point is this. Steph Curry is just going nuts. He scored 42 points in that game. He's a good basketball player. But you know what? One day Steph Curry won't be that good. His skill is going to diminish. His endurance is going to diminish. And all that Steph Curry and all that our world makes about him is going to fade. And those championships that he's won aren't going to help them in the scheme of the big picture of where history is going. And I think 
he's a follower of Christ. At least he claims to be. And he's going to find out all those things that he's earned and won will leave him wanting. Because if you are in Christ, you were created to know him, to experience him, for him to be your vision, your number one love. See, that's the problem. It's oftentimes we're, we're chasing after the creation rather than the creator. We're looking for life in these places rather than in him. Jesus will tell us, look, I came to give you life and give it to the full. And that is a, that's a whole sermon in itself. But when we look for life in other things, it's idolatry. And our hearts get all messed up. How many have read through the book of Ecclesiastes lately? Maybe it's depressing to you. Maybe you're kind of going, what's the point? It starts us saying, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. All is meaningless. Well, it's meaningless, why am I reading this? It's a story of a man who has it all. He's inherited everything this world has, and he's looking for meaning in life through those things. And at the end of the day, it goes, uh, it's not satisfying my soul. That's what the wisdom of Ecclesiastes is. But within that, he tells us that our hearts are shaped for eternity. And the only thing that can fill that is an eternal God. That's what Jesus is doing. That's why we need to keep our eyes fixed on him rather than this world, because this world is passing away. This world is passing away. And when you're in Christ, and it says you died and your life is now hidden with Christ, that means that you're no longer living for this world. You're no longer looking for life in its values, its pleasures. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy them along the way and give glory to God for them, but that's not what you're looking to for life. It's a new reality, a new source of life, and a new kingdom to live for. Jesus will say it this way. And he terms it in loss for life. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their very soul? And again, I'm not talking about being so heavenly minded that like we're just denying that we have physical needs or things that are around us. No. It's just relating to it differently. With a Christ-centered vision, not a world-centered vision. Where are we looking for life? Again, the stakes are high. All of us will stand before our Creator one day. How did we relate to Him? Did we ignore Him? Did we ignore His salvation in Christ? Where are we looking for life? And what happens after this life is done? Number three. Keep your eyes on Jesus again. Because He is your life. And He is the future. Verse four. When Christ, 
who is your life, that should be underlined in your Bible, by the way, if you're into underlining, Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Just a few thoughts. Again, we're living kind of in a now and not yet reality, right? If you're in Christ, you're seated with him in the heavenlies. But it's not quite fully experienced until he comes back. But the point is, is that this earth, this world, is not all there is. Jesus, who is head over all, even over the forces of rebellion against him, he's going to bring this creation to his good end. And if you are in Christ, one day, you who are seated with him in the heavenlies will be fully present with him. And I don't think our response at that, that point will be seeking help or seeking wisdom. It will just be worship. Just one name will be singing, Jesus. And giving him glory and honor. And we will enjoy his presence. Now, if you're in Christ, you have died to this world. You're hidden with Christ, if you will. And if you tell someone who is thinking as far as how this world works, to this world, he says, I am in Christ. I am united with him in his life, death, and resurrection. They'll look at you like, okay. Keep hoping that. But when he returns, when he returns and he comes on the clouds, and this whole world looks to him, we will appear with him in glory. He will say, enough. Enough. And the beautiful thing is, you know what? Right now, one of the things he's doing is he's working on you. He's working on me. He's making you, he's making me, to be more like Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, you are his workmanship. You are his poem. You are his masterpiece. And he's at work at you, on you. When he comes, say enough. And he will transform your body, my body, all those who are in Christ, to be like his glorious body. And we'll have no inkling to rebel against him or love anything other than him. We'll be made like him. We will see him as he is. And ultimately, we will reflect His glory. We'll be trophies of His grace. Not because we've lived worthy lives, but because He was at work in us. That is our future. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with Him also in glory. And I think sometimes when life is going well, we're kind of going, well, I hope that happens after I experience this or after I do that. But if your life is decaying or you're handicapped 
or you're living in a really tough spot, you're coming, come Lord Jesus. Please, sooner than later. Again, this earth is not all that God intended. He's going to come and bring a new heaven and a new earth. And it will be glorious. And we'll worship and take great pleasure in it. And we will stand up as trophies, honestly, of His grace. Trophies of His grace. Look what I did in Neil's life, in Nathan's life, in Kathy's life, in Joel's life. We have to have a Christ-centered vision. Because life is hard sometimes, right? Life is hard. We need to have a Christ-centered vision because we're going to experience opposition. We need to have a Christ-centered vision because this world is passing away. But the Lord has given us a glorious future. <laughs> Paul says this, chapter 2 of Excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us all an eternal glory that will outweigh them all. We'll say it was worth it. So let me ask you with this. I don't know where everyone is at in this room spiritually. But are you raised with Christ? Have you appropriated by faith? Saying, Lord Jesus, what you did. And coming to live this life of perfect obedience, which I can't live. And dying on the cross and paying a, a fee that I can't pay to a holy God. And then conquering a foe in death and raising from the dead. Have you put your faith in Him? Have you put your faith in all that He has done for you? Because that's who He came for. For you, for me. But the fact that He did it can only be appropriated by faith. It can only be received as a gift. Otherwise it just remains on the shelf, if you will. The first chapter of the Gospel of John says, to as many as received Him. Even those who believe in His name, when we say believe in His name, that means all that He's done. To them, He gave the right to become the children of God. Maybe you've not received that gift yet. Today could be the day where you can go from being a child of, of this world to a child of God. For us who believe, let me ask you the question. Are you reminded that you have died to this world? Are you reminded that you shouldn't be living for wine, women, and song? For the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life? 
that you have life in Him? Do you need to get your eyes back on Jesus today? And if that's true, that's okay. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Jesus rebuked the church in Laodicea for. You, actually Ephesians, Ephesus, you've lost your first love. And Laodicea. I'm knocking at the door. If any man, if any woman hears my voice, I will come into them and dine with them and he with me. Today you need to repent. Say, Jesus, I, I've been looking for life in all the wrong places. Help me get my life focused back on you. And then that's just true for all of us, right? We just need to do that. We need to be reminded. You know, the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the practical implications of that. And they do have vertical application, but there's also a lot of horizontal application. And we'll be talking about that. As we focus on Christ, we get our eyes on Him. That have implications, a Christ-centered vision for how we interact with one another. But that's for next week. So, we are going to continue with our celebration of the Lord's Supper. And what it is, it's, it's a time when we remind ourselves what God has done in sending His Son. And here at Berean, we practice what we call open communion. That means that if you have put your faith in Christ, if you are in Him, if you are raised with Him, as I talked about in this sermon, you are welcome at this table. It's not my table. It's not the table of the Berean Community Church. It's His table. And He invites you here to commune with Him. To remember what He's done for you. Remember that He came for you and bought you expensively with His blood. To purchase your salvation and give you life. But we also come into this time thoughtfully, remembering that it was our sin that put him on the cross. It was our sin that made it necessary for him to give his life. So we come thoughtfully. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. This is not a snack. This is a profound remembrance of what Jesus has done. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So joy is going to play softly in the background for a few minutes and I just would like you to do business with the Lord. Say, Lord, search my heart. Show me where I'm out of sorts with you. And when we see that, we can take him up on his promise. If we, are, if we confess our sin, he is faithful. He is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then we'll continue in this celebration. So, Joy, if you would just lead us here.